For Jesus was sinless. Jesus was sinless, and he suffered as a criminal. He, he suffered. Some of you have suffered for, for no reason. And you go, why am I suffering? Why am I suffering? So, so some theologians would say, theologians would say, that's kind of what Peter's talking about. We're suffering just as Jesus Christ has suffered. But there's also another understanding to this in the Greek, and that's that we rejoice because we participate in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, Christ did the suffering for us. And because he did it for us, we tar- participate in the rewards that come because he suffered for us. You know, it's, it's, it's as if somebody um, who gets paid a whole bunch of money for doing a horrifically terrible job, like what I had to do over the summer when my septic tank overflowed under my house. Okay, I think we all just went, yeah, I can picture that. I don't want any more graphic, right? <laughs> and you're crawling under this little space cleaning out, and I didn't get paid much for it. But, but let's say, you know, somebody's working in a job like that, and because it's so disgusting, they get paid a whole bunch of money. And what they do is they say, I've made so much money, I'm taking us all out to, to a steak dinner tonight. It's my treat. You are participating in his suffering. He did all the work. And with what he got from that, he's sharing it with you. And it's like, wow. I didn't have to do anything. He suffered. We got this great dinner. And in that, in that great, we participate in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. We have life. We've been built into a spiritual home. We have hope. We have something that can never be taken away, not because we've done anything. It's because he paid the price. He suffered. I'm going to go ahead and ask those who are prepared to serve the communion to go ahead and do that at this time. We're going to, they're going to come and just begin to serve the communion. We'll just keep listening as we, we talk about this. And the reason I decided to do the communion in, in the service right now is because part of the idea of communion is understanding that we partake in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself was trying to help us understand when he shared that last meal with, the believer, with, with his disciples, he said, this is, this is my body, this is my blood. I'm about to do something for you. I'm going to pray over the elements and then ask him to serve. Heavenly Father, as we go into this time of communion in the middle of the word, which is a little different, we just pray that we would understand your sacrifice, that as we eat the, the bread and the, drink the juice, that we would understand that we are partaking in your sufferings, that we, we receive the blessings that, that Jesus Christ paid for us. We pray that you would bless the juice, that you would bless the bread in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys who served that. And so when it comes, just hold on to it. We're going we're gonna to take it together. So the idea, you can take a message. The I- okay, thank you, Jim. So, so the idea is that we, um, that, that Jesus Christ is paid for our, our suffering and that we get to um, participate in that. And so when we go back to the beginning of, chapter, of verse 13, rejoice. Oh, wait a second. I can rejoice in that. I can't rejoice that I'm going through hard times. I, it's really difficult to understand. How do I rejoice in that? I'm not rejoicing in, in the hard times. I'm not saying, wow, this is great. We don't believe that we're supposed to, you know, punish ourselves and whip ourselves and that we're supposed to suffer like that. So the rejoicing is coming not in the, the trial, but that I might be going through a trial 
because I'm a Christian, and we're gonna, he's talking partly about that right here, that we share in, in, in his uh, sufferings, and so we can rejoice. We rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. To me, that, that makes a lot more sense than we rejoice because we're suffering, just as Jesus suffered. Now, I can rejoice if I, that I'm suffering if the next part, which we'll get to in a moment, is I'm actually suffering because I'm a Christian. I mean, I can actually, I can actually rejoice, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Why, why could I rejoice if I'm suffering for being a Christian? That means that somehow the enemy or the world has recognized that I'm a Christian and that I stand apart and they're literally targeting me because I'm a Christian. That, that means I must be doing something right. I'm allowing Christ to live his life through me in such a way that people recognize it. Remember I shared, I shared this year um, something that's very, very personal to me uh, of, of uh, a shame that I really had carried. Um, the worst thing ever someone ever told me was after knowing them for some time. This was when I was in high school and I was, I was a zealous believer and I was witnessing all the time, but I had known them in school and out of school somewhat uh, for a long time and they found out I was a Christian and after, after months and they said, I didn't know you were a Christian. And that was actually the worst thing that, that, that could ever be said to me because I realized I was living such a, a hidden Christian life when I was with this person that they couldn't tell that I'd never let my light shine forth. I was actually in that, in most other instances I wasn't, but in that instance there was something in me that just wanted to be accepted and liked. And I didn't think that if I was a Christian I'd be liked. See, when we're persecuted for being a Christian, somebody took notice that you're a believer. At work, I, I've talked to a number of people, it's, it, it's happened to me, people find out you're a believer and they just change and they start sometimes needling you or, or you know, saying things, they want you to fall, they want, because, because there's something about us, we're like the crabs in the bucket. Crab hunters never have to put a lid on the bucket of the crabs. Because the other crabs, every time a crab starts crawling out of the bucket, they grab them by the legs and they pull them back in the bucket. There's something in human nature that when somebody begins to succeed around us, we throw darts at them because we want to feel better about ourselves and we don't like other people to succeed. Sadly, you, you find a, a Christian family who just is a great example of everything. Sometimes, I'll confess, somebody said this about us. Um, We've had, a, we've had a pretty good family. We haven't had anything major happen to us. There's been people who said, yeah, just wait until one of them start messing up. You know, I can't wait. What? And I've never said, my family's better than your family. I just say, I love my family, and I'm doing the best I can to raise them to be godly. And, and I've actually had people, I mean, they're waiting for my kids to fall. So why? I believe it's because so then they can feel better about maybe a failure that they have. You know, if you've got a failure in your life, it's really simple. Admit it, ask forgiveness, and move on. So we, we suffer sometimes as, as Christians because we bear that name of Christ. Verse 13, if you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, I want to skip down just before we take, take communion. I'm going to hit a few more things in 15 and 16. But in verse 16, towards the end, it, it says this, However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God, in the NIV says this, that you bear that name. Praise God that you bear that name. If you suffer as a Christian, we rejoice and we praise God that we bear the name of Christ. I don't know if any of you have ever really wanted to be part of an organization or part of a school. You know, if, if people who graduate from Harvard tell you that they graduated from Harvard. <laughs> right? I mean, you know, when you, when you graduate from some podunk university, you got your bachelor's or master's, you might say, I've got my bachelor's in education, I've got my master's in this, and you don't mention the name of the podunk school. But when you graduate from Harvard, you say, I've got my master's from Harvard, right? Because there's something about bearing that name. Church, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. And we rejoice because of that. We should rejoice. I don't know if you rejoice in that or not, but today's message is to encourage you that you bear the name of Jesus Christ. And it happened because of Christ's suffering for us. We're going to do communion in just a minute. So We know the story, most of us in here. We do this once a month in service. We encourage people to do it in their life groups. Encourage you to do it at your table with your family to just sometimes take a moment as you're having fellowship and to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. Jesus, he did it with his disciples. Sometimes I think we do it too religiously. Once a month on a Sunday morning. That's not what Jesus was talking about when he says, do this in remembrance of me. Now, we, we do that to, to remind ourselves what he did. I never want it to become a religious moment. I want it to be a remembrance that helps us to, to connect again with what Christ did for us and that what we do because of his response. But he took his disciples and they were having a, the Passover meal and, and they had the, the matzah bread, which was bread without, without leaven. And, and it used to represent other things. And Jesus says, listen, this bread is my body. It's broken for you. And they're like, I don't even get that. Twelve, Twelve hours later, they're going to begin to understand what he meant. By the next day, they totally understand. Jesus Christ was going to allow himself to be broken and beaten beyond any human recognition. And he did it for me. And he did it for you. And he, was saying, and he told his disciples, as he's telling us this morning through the word, that he did it for us. He says, this is my body. It's going to be broken for you. So whenever you eat this bread, do it in remembrance of me. I believe that as Christians, when we're gathered together in a potluck or any time where we're in fellowship together, that it would be appropriate to just stop and say, you know, the only reason we have fellowship is because of what Jesus did for us. And so we're going to do that this morning. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus to have his body broken that we might live. We thank you for the body, the broken body of Jesus Christ. Let's have the bread together. The word tells us that in the same way he took the cup, it was probably wine. Don't worry, this is grape juice. 
And he says, this is the blood of my, a new covenant. The old things are fulfilled. They're not gone away. He didn't, he didn't break the law. He fulfilled the law. He says, this, is, this is a cup and a new covenant in my blood for you. Remember me every time you drink it. God, I can't begin to imagine the pain that Jesus actually suffered and went through for me. That, that his blood poured out of his body profusely. And he did it willingly. For the joy set before him, the Bible says, that I might have life. God, I thank you that you sent Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you endured the cross, let your blood spill for a new covenant. And today, freshly, I commit myself to you. And I thank you for the blood of the covenant. I thank you for your blood. Let's drink the juice together. We should be stirred up and remember these things. We should remember that what he did for us because we rejoice, verse 13, that we participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now we're beginning to turn a corner here and he's looking towards, we're talking about eschatology here, end times thing. We're going to be overjoyed at the end. We're going to go through sufferings and he's calling us to persevere under the sufferings. He's calling us to live holy and righteously, committed to him. Don't back down. Don't give in. And when you do that, you'll be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Now, I struggle with it in myself all the time. I'm, I'm kind of a sarcastic. Uh, I've got a lot of you know, weird humor inside of me, and I like to make jokes. But I rarely actually, you know, t I always think of things in my head that I might say to people in a, in a sarcastic tone, but, but I try to keep my, my tongue tamed, and I, I don't always let those things go, and I try to live lovingly. But, you know, there's a part of me, it is a confession, that in the end times, when I'm standing next to a couple of sinners and Christ is coming back to take me home, I'm kind of a confession that there's a part of me just wants to look to my left and right and said, told you I was right. <laughs> neener, neener, neener. Now, there's a, there's a much, much bigger part that wants them to be going with me. Okay? I mean, I, I, I don't want anyone to go to hell. Worst thing I ever said to my wife in a fight. I, I, if you're visiting, if you're visiting, I'm very, I'm very uh, open. I, I fight with my wife. Worst thing I ever said to her. We were about four years into our marriage. I said, go to hell. But then I said, I mean that figuratively. <laughs> I can't even fight well. Because I, I actually said that because I knew what go to hell means. I mean, there's people throw that word around all the time, go to hell. You know what? Call me the worst words in the world. Don't tell me to go to hell. That's actually the worst punishment, the worst curse you can. So I, I say, go to hell. I mean that figuratively. <laughs> we want people to go to heaven. We want to go to heaven. We will rejoice 
will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. Listen to this part in verse 14. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. The spirit of God rests on you. Now say that in your mind for a second. Just think about that. The spirit of God rests on me. The spirit of God rests on you. That's powerful. And we're insulted and we go, God, I'll bear up under this. Don't take it personally. Understand they're insulting Christ. If you suffer, it should not be. And it gives these three things. In the Greek, they're, they're tied together. It says it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal. And those three are really tied together. The next one is separated in the Greek a little bit. And it's really kind of saying those all things, being a thief or a murderer, they're actually punishable by death. And he was talking about real crimes. You know, we're not supposed to suffer like and, and be doing these things. And then he says, or even as a meddler. I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever read that and gone, murder, you know, thief, meddler. Don't suffer for anything big or even anything little. Live, live for God. Live righteously. Don't even be a meddler. Don't, you know, somebody's gossiping about you because you're a gossip. That's not suffering for Jesus. That's suffering because you're a gossip. We shouldn't suffer as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. According to a report in the Center for Studies on New Religions, 90,000 Christians were killed last year because they were Christians. 90,000 worldwide. That's a lot of people. Not, not because they were in a convenience store robbing. They were killed because they were Christians. I heard a statistic. 82% of the population of Christians in the world today worry about whether they will be arrested or dragged out of the church if they're assembling together in a church. Wonder if they're actually going to be persecuted because they showed up to to service. 82% of Christians in the world. As many as 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their religion in 2016. 600 million Christians around the world were prevented from practicing their religion. See, when we read this in this country, we don't understand. It's, it's a whole nother dynamic when we're saying persecuted for being a Christian. And so it's, it's really different. We, we do suffer some persecution, but the level is so much below. I don't ever worry that I'm going to walk out of this place one day and there's going to be a cop out there who arrests me because I preached the gospel. I just don't. But 600 million Christians were prevented from practicing their faith last year. And 90,000 Christians were killed. You know, 36 pastors were killed in Mexico last year because they were Christians. Mexico. Not because they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Targeted, killed because they were Christian. It's beginning to happen in North America.
South America where, where Christianity still is, is big. One of the reasons we don't suffer is that we're living in, an, in a culture that Judeo-Christian ethics, for the most part, are still okay. There's a few things that we disagree with with the, with the common, common world, but most people still say that murdering somebody's bad. Stealing is bad. We, we share a common, commonality with the most of, most of the, the people around us in ethics and morals because they're based in Judeo-Christian ethics. It's one of the reasons we fight against Sharia law so much because we don't believe that those laws in, in, in Islam line up with the Judeo-Christian ethics and morals. The people who think that it's good to have Sharia law here are, are just blinded by Satan. It's just ridiculous. In Iraq, the number of Christians has dropped from 1.5 million in 2003 to 275,000 in 2016. Not because they stopped their faith, though. It's important to know that. It's not because they changed their faith that they left the country because they're, they're being persecuted so much, mostly by, by ISIS. Um... In fact, the, uh, who was it, the, um, yeah, a guy, not, not that his name's important, but he, he's the national security analyst for the Clarion Project. He says, Christians are fleeing and being killed from countries like Iraq, um, but Christianity itself is actually on the rise in the Middle East. So they're leaving places because they're being persecuted, but, but Christianity in general is actually on the rise because people are seeing that. Even places like India, that's mostly Hindu, they're, they're being persecutions are being persecuted because they feel like it's a religion of the West. So even hi Hindu people, and there's also a lot of Muslims there, um, even in places like India, even the Buddhists are, are um, persecuting Christians. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. But praise God that you bear that name. Can we all be proud of the name of Jesus Christ? Verse, verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? Go with me to Malachi chapter 3. This, this passage has is, is challenged me a little bit. Um, Malachi is the Italian prophet at the end of the New Test, the Old Testament. It's time for judgment to begin with the family of God. And go, are, are we going to be judged? You know, and, and there's a, this wrestling. Is like, am I? Yeah, we're going to be judged for what we do and don't do for the name of Jesus Christ. We're not judged for our salvation. If you're in Christ, that judgment is passed. You will never be judged for your sin, but we will be judged in how we live for Jesus Christ. And there's also another side of judgment and understanding about it, and that's like a refining judging, that we're going to go through the fire, and your work is going to be judged to see if it's real or if it's fake. If your works and your faith stand up under the fire, it, or is it going to be burned up as in wood, hay, and stubble? It needs to be refined. So some of the things we go through are about refining our work, and it's an Old Testament principle as well as New Testament. Uh, Malachi chapter 3, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like 
a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Judgment's going to come to the house of God first. The fires of persecution and life are going to come to Christians to see where we stand and if we're truly in the faith. There's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of churches that don't preach this because they, they want to go on to the humanistic, humanistic side and just where everyone feels good and, and the, the message is just love and happy and join hands and sing kumbaya and just get along, get along. And there's a message of the true gospel of Jesus Christ that persecution is coming daily. I'm not saying just coming in the future. It comes to purify us and to see whether we're in the faith and whether our works are righteous or not because he's looking for the white bride. How do we go through that? We need to, we need to press into Jesus. You know, when, when, when persecution comes, we need to be running to the cross, not running away from it. If it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? That's the other side of the coin. There is truly a hell waiting for those who are enemies of the cross, who are outside of the faith. If we go through tribulation and trials, what will the outcome be for them? That's why we're called to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Because God wants to see all men saved. But if we're going through it and people are, uh, what, what's going to happen to them that are outside of the faith? And it says, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? That comes out of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs, I think it's chapter 11. If it's hard for the righteous to be saved... They're not saying that it's, it's, it's difficult that God can't save you. That's not what the idea is. It's saying if it's difficult to stay in the faith, if it's difficult to, to stay devoted to Christ, and it, it is sometimes. It was for Peter. Remember, remember good old Peter who was just was ready to whack off people's ears and no one's going to touch my Jesus, and then a couple hours later he's denying Christ. If it's difficult for the righteous to stay in salvation, to stay committed to God, what about those that are outside of the faith? And there's times that it's difficult to live this Christian life. It's just not easy. So we press into Him. We don't run away. What will become of the ungodly and the sinner? There's an easy answer. It's not a good one. What comes of the ungodly and the sinner is they'll be separated from God forever. But if we will share our faith and share the love of Jesus and give an opportunity for those who hear to, to receive hope or receive forgiveness of sins that then comes with hope. Verse 19, the end of this chapter says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. That, that, that's the end of this, this message this morning is that we're called to just commit ourselves to our faithful creator knowing that we're called by the glorious name, know that we're spending time with the creator of the universe and that he calls us the chosen, the elected, that no matter what comes up, we're going to press into him and not back off from him because he calls us out of the darkness into, the, into his marvelous light and he's building us up and he lives inside of us and we are a holy nation. We belong to God.
Let's pray a prayer of commitment to our faithful creator. Lord, we started this message hearing all of the things that we are. We're new creations. We're a holy, royal priest of the holy nation, God. We're called out. We're elected. We have a hope that doesn't fade. We have an inheritance that doesn't fade. God, we're going to go through trials and tribulations in this life, and we don't want to be taken off guard. We want to commit ourselves to you our creator king of the universe we want to commit ourselves afresh to you this morning this morning god there's a lot of things that vie for our attention in our daily lives god help us to to look to you and to not be distracted help us to run to you instead of to some of the other things in the past that we've turned to when we're stressed and when we have persecution god help us to be committed to your word that that when we respond to people, the word will come out instead of horrible expressions, even as I've confessed for myself of things I've said in the past and, and thoughts I've had. Help us to be full of the word of God, full of life that we know how to respond, that we respond to you truthfully and righteously. God, we commit ourselves again to you this morning. And God, we ask that you would strengthen us to continue to do good. We thank you that the Spirit of God rests upon us. The Holy Spirit lives within us. And he empowers us to say no to ungodliness and follow you. So have your way in us that we might live well and do good. God, we can't do this on our own. We thank you that you work in us, that the Spirit of God works in us each. God, we ask that you would help us to strengthen ourselves and strengthen and encourage one another as we fight the good fight of faith together, rejoicing that we're called Christians. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.